So good morning again, everybody. It's great to be with all of you. Just show hands. How many of you showed up at 1030? I'm just kidding. Oh, a couple of people. Okay, awesome. I love it. You were snuck away. I didn't get to put you to work, so it's good. It's awesome being back to two services. Uh, when we actually launched this a couple of years ago, a number of people came up to me, and they were, like, really concerned. It's like, Pastor Kevin, we're really concerned for you having to do two services. And I'm like, why? It's like, aren't you going to be tired? It's like, I could do this all day. Like, this is what I live for. Like, you know, worshiping God and preaching the word of God twice, it's not enough. I've read four, five, six times every weekend. Like, man, bring it. You know, more and more people that can hear the message of Jesus, and I'm worried that I'm tired? Suck it up, buttercup. You know, it's like preach, (laughs) preach, preach, and worship. You know, and the reason this actually gets me so excited is I actually firmly believe, I mean, and you can tell this by this video, it's, we don't take ourselves too overly serious as a leadership here. Now, we take the message of Jesus very serious. We take the gospel. We take what God wants to do in your life, in our life, in our city. We take that very seriously. But I actually believe the greatest sin that the church has ever done is to make the message of Jesus boring. Somehow, I don't know when it happened, I've studied church history, I've taken all these courses, and somehow we took the life-giving message that there is a God, a creator, he would equip us and engage us in the work that he wants to do in the world. And somehow, we made it boring. And we drove thousands of people away, millions of people away from that message in our traditions, in our legalism, in our laws. And I think that breaks the heart of God. (laughs) I really do. I think it is sin to make the message of Jesus boring. When you and I bring the message of Jesus into the world, is it engaging? Is it vibrant? Is it bringing life? Or is it driving people away in droves from the church? We need to all evaluate that. And so this Sunday is what we call a Vision Sunday, and we're looking at what God is doing in our church family. Because it's important today. I heard a speaker once talk about ruts. And if you don't know what a rut is, a rut is when a truck drives down a muddy road, and it makes these big grooves in the mud. And eventually the sun comes out and dries up the mud, and it makes tracks on the road and the next truck that shows up has to pick the rut that they're going to drive in and this preacher that i heard said for all of us as christians we have to be very careful of what rut we choose because you're going to be in it for a long time (laughs) and so often in our christian faith and our christian journey in what we do as a church if we're not careful we can actually pick a rut And be in it for a long time and actually find ourselves slowly drifting away from God's original plan for the church. We get so obsessed on what I want and what we want and what I like and what I prefer. And at the end of the day, as followers of Jesus, the reason we have to check our own hearts is because it doesn't matter what we like, what we want, or what we prefer. It matters what God likes. And what God wants and what God prefers. So we all, myself included, check our heart.
Uh, if you follow me on social media, you will know that I, I live in an older home. Big gas right in your hardwood floor. And you spend the next three weeks sanding it out by hand. You know, but you learn, right? And so if you follow me on social media, you would have seen over the last few springs, uh, I have a leaky roof. <laughs> and not just a leak. Last February, I had buckets of water. I'm talking buckets of water. I couldn't go to sleep. I was awake for 40 straight hours emptying buckets as it was kind of gushing through my roof. And so I'm also cheap, and my dad's handy. He's handy. Like He built their house up north. He's handy. And one of his best friends is a professional contractor. So they showed up, and they said, we're fixing this roof for you once and for all. So they show up on Monday. We buy all the material Monday. Tuesday morning, we get up at 5.30, and we're up on the roof. And these two guys are working like crazy. And they're ripping siding out. They're ripping shingles out. They find the hole. They're kind of figuring everything. And they're talking this weird language, like math. And I thought I was good at math until you start going, okay, well, this is like a two-by-four. We need nine twenty-six inches of this and nine-eighths of this and eighteen-sixteenths of this. And and they're just going, blah, 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 blah. And I'm standing there. And they're debating and figuring everything out. And they're working and working. And I'm on my roof. My neighbors go by, you know, and I'm like, these guys are working and they're working. I'm standing there on my roof. Starts raining. Cool, okay. And then one, and then every once in a while they go, Kevin. I'm like, yeah. Get me a hammer. Yes. So I run down, climb down the ladder, and I get the hammer, climb back up, give them the hammer. No, that's the wrong one. I need the one that's better for pulling nails. Oh, okay. So I run down, I go down the ladder, come up the ladder, get them a hammer. And I stand there again for another half hour, <laughs> waiting. And then you start wondering, am I in the way? Should I, like, go do something else? Like, maybe since these guys are working so hard, I should just ensure they're well-fed, right? Keep them happy with food. Maybe I should just make sure that the, the pot of coffee never gets to the bottom. Like, what is my role here? Right? The experts are working, and I don't know my place. I actually think church is a lot like that. I think in the North American church today, the experts the pastors, the elders, the people with their seminary degrees and all that kind of stuff are working like crazy, talking weird language that no one else understands. And everyone else is standing around going, what's my fit? What do I do? Do I just get a hammer when the pastor wants me to get a hammer? Do I just hand out a bulletin? Do I just put an envelope in the offering basket? Like, what, what am I supposed to do here? And that's what I want to talk about today. See, I think for so long, church has been driven by attendance. We need you to attend. So that the experts could just kind of feed you the Christian wares that they have prepared. (laughs) Just attend. And people will grow spiritually if we can get people to attend. Now, those of you who are parents know attendance doesn't really matter sometimes with your kids. You can drag your kids to everything, and they still will not engage, right? But so much in our ministry is built around attend, attend, attend. 
And what I want to do as we look at the words of Jesus today and look at the teachings of Jesus, I want to see that Jesus never, never intended for the children of God to just attend anything. He wants them to engage. God is not interested in any of us attending church. God wants us to engage with his vision for the world. And that's what I want to do today. I want to look at the teachings of Jesus. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be jumping around a lot of different verses in the New Testament today. We're going to be in the Gospel of John and in the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm going to be jumping around a little bit back and forth. So if you want to follow along on the screen, you can. Or if you use your mobile device, you have the version app. You can find sermon outlines in there as well to follow along. But I'm going to start here in John chapter 14. And I'm going to start with one verse. John 14, verse 15, says this. If you love me, you will attend church. If you love me, you will join a life group. If you love what is going on when Jesus says that? Well, this is what is known in fancy theological terms as the upper room discourse meaning they're in an upper room having a discussion. I don't know why theologians have to make words so complicated, you know, maybe because we're trying to show how we're the experts. It's a conversation upstairs. And what the followers... ...that the Jewish people kept every year to remember how God's wrath passed over them. See, back when the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt, God was displaying his power to the people of Egypt to die. But then God told the people of Israel, take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, and take the blood of the lamb and put it over your door. And when this spirit of God comes to bring wrath, God's wrath will pass over you. The wrath of God because of the sacrifice of the lamb, will pass over. And that's what they're celebrating. That's what they're partying as Jesus is having a conversation with them. This freedom that they have, this celebration that they have, that the wrath of God passed over them. And then Jesus kind of shows them through the Passover meal that that Passover was great, but it wasn't enough. (laughs) Because sin is still in the world. God still has to judge sin. And Jesus teaches his followers that he is the Lamb of God, that he is going to die, and that his blood is going to deal with the wrath of God. And they're like, he models the Father's love by removing all of his clothing, wrapping himself in a towel, and washing sinners' feet. That is the love of God being displayed. I'm going to die for you. I didn't come to be served by you, like the way the pagan gods demand to be served. I came to serve, to be a sacrifice. And then Jesus, you know, predicts this death. He tells them that even though he's God, even though he's going to die for their sins, even though he loves them so much he would serve them, he says, one of you is going to betray me (laughs) for something as simple as money. The grip of money in your heart is stronger than the love of God in your heart, and you're going to betray me. And Judas does that. Peter kind of gets all freaked out by this. No, 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 I would never do it. I would never do it. And Jesus says, even you. 
when I get arrested, you are going to deny that you even know me. And Peter says, I would never do that. I love you. And then when they showed up and they arrested him, when they arrested Jesus, Peter took off in fear. And when people said, hey, you're a follower of Jesus, I don't know him. Wasn't me. Not me. Three times. <laughs> Jesus tells them in this upper room discourse that he has to die so that he can go back to the Father and prepare a place for his followers. <laughs> that Jesus is preparing a new heaven and a new earth. <laughs> you see, the Bible doesn't teach us that when we die, we, we start putting on diapers and wear wings and start playing the harp. <laughs> the Bible teaches that one day a new earth is going to be created from the old, that we will return to the kingdom of God as he intended it to be, that God's throne, that his kingdom will come physically on this new earth, and we will be in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus is making all things new, but he has to return to the Father to build that place. And then Jesus promises these words, right? He promises this, in John chapter 14. So right after he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, he says this in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you, and I will not leave you as orphans. Right, so Jesus is kind of setting this up. If you love me, you'll obey the commands. But here's the beauty of it. These commands, you can't keep. You see, I grew up in kind of a religious, a pretty strict religious environment where I was told, Jesus hates me. You see, I'm a little fidgety. I've managed to get it under control at 48, at 8, but it's like, couldn't sit still. And in that strict religious environment, I was told repeatedly, almost daily, you're making little baby Jesus cry. Because you're not a good boy, because you don't listen, God hates you. Baby Jesus is crying because of the way you are not keeping the commands. You see, and there's that challenge, right? Because we believe as evangelical Christians that we can't keep the laws. We can't keep the traditions. That's why Jesus had to die. Right? Jesus died to pay a price we couldn't keep. We couldn't keep the law. We couldn't keep the commandments. So God sends Jesus, second part of the Trinity. He dies for our sins, and that's a free gift. Nothing we can do to earn it. Nothing we can do to lose it. It's free gift of salvation. Nothing to do. No commands to keep. To earn God's salvation. But when you get saved, when you believe that Jesus is. In fact, Jesus sees this as so important, he repeats it just a couple of paragraphs down. He says it again in John 14, 23. He says, anyone who loves me will obey my commandments. Anyone, oh, sorry, obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. If you love me, keep my commands. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Now, the challenge for me is what commands? Which ones? There's a lot. Like a lot. And, then, and I've got a seminary degree. 
I couldn't tell you how many there are. A whole bunch, just in the Gospels. Which ones am I supposed to keep? And what happens if I break one? Does God hate me? Am I making little baby Jesus cry? Right? It can be a challenge sometimes. And so when you study the commands of Jesus, there's a challenge and a tension. <laughs> because we don't obey to earn God's favor. We use the commands and teachings of Jesus to check. How am I doing? Am I in the right rut? <laughs> am I moving in the right direction? Or do I need to let the Spirit of God make a change in my life? You see, the commands of Jesus are fascinating. In the Gospels, like so those are the four books of the New Testament, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by followers of Jesus. There are a lot of commands, a lot of them, just in those four books. And when you study them, not all of them are for everybody. Not all of them are for everybody. Jesus actually gives commands that are to a specific person for a specific situation. Let me give an example. When Jesus commands the rich young man to sell all of your possessions, give everything to the poor, and come follow me. Is that a command for every Christian throughout all eternity? Some people would say yes. And they would make Christians who have a decent job, who have a nice home, who've got good things, feel bad because you're not living like a monk. That every Christian is supposed to sell everything you own and live like a hermit following Jesus. That's not a command for every disciple. That is a command for one man who was dealing with materialism who could not give up his love for money. Now, some of us may have to work on our love of money. I had to work on my love for money. I was a hardcore materialist for most of my life. I had a good day, buy something to reward myself. I had a bad day, buy myself something to feel better. Spent a lot of money on a lot of junk. <laughs> okay, None of it made me happy. <laughs> but I had to be broken of that. But it's not a command for every Christian. It's to a life of repentance. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, this is right after Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. He's being tempted by the devil for 40 days, didn't have anything to eat for 40 days, comes out of the wilderness, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. Preach. Jesus was a preacher. Okay, he preached. And there's a difference between teaching the Bible and preaching. And here's what was going on in ancient Judea when that was going on. Good stuff. Study the Bible. It's a great thing. Not preaching. Preaching is repent, repent, repent. The kingdom of God, it has come. That is a command of Jesus to people. Repent. Turn from your sin. Repent literally means turn in the other direction. Your sin is bringing you this way. The command of Jesus is turn around and go the other way. Why is this a command? Why is this not just a one-time thing? Like, wouldn't repentance just be great so that we can get saved? That we can be saved from our sin? 
and then I never have to worry about repentance ever again? (laughs) You know why we're called to live a life of repentance? (laughs) Because sin is fun. Can Can I say that? Is a pastor allowed to say that? Sin is awfully fun. exactly how it works in that moment it was fun it was great everything in my emotions and in my flesh cried out to do it now my life is a mess i have all this snot to deal with broken heart lost promises can't pay my bills because i bought too much comic books this week things like that broken relationships with people people who don't trust me anymore because i've lost their trust feels great in the moment not everywhere and jesus says no for you if you love me repent it's a constant turning away it's a constant turning away the sin that's in my heart constantly i'm asking god forgive me for that thought god forgive me for thinking of that person that way god forgive me that i didn't want to be generous God, forgive me that I was tired and someone called me and I saw their name come up on my phone and I hit ignore. (laughs) When I knew they were struggling and I knew they were hurting, but I didn't want to deal with it. Forgive me. (laughs) You see, a life of repentance is not about a guilt trip, (laughs) but it helps us remember the power and the forgiveness of God in our own lives. (laughs) Repentance draws us closer to God. It's a constant daily reminder how much I need the spirit of truth to empower me when I live a life of repentance. It constantly heals my relationships with people around me when I'm willing to go to someone and say, would you forgive me for hurting you? Or when someone comes to me and says, would you forgive me? And I say, yes, I will. Constant repentance. It's a command of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. We live in the fullness of the kingdom of God today, and we long for the day when it will be completed. The kingdom of God fully here, but not yet. Living a life of obeying Jesus in repentance to draw us closer to God and to heal our human relationships with one another. That's the first big thing Jesus teaches, repentance. The next thing, Out of repentance comes the command to follow him. Jesus constantly is commanding people to follow him. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus speaks to some fishermen, to a couple of businessmen, and says, come, follow me. And again, this isn't just language. This isn't, well, you know, if you feel like it, and if you've got time, I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot of stuff going on in your life. But if you you could spare like an hour a week and maybe if you don't mind volunteering in our kids ministry, you know, but but I don't want to push you. You know, if if you feel the Lord leading. It's not the way Jesus talked to people. (laughs) See, he goes to these businessmen who get fishing, Right. That's their livelihood. It's how they they have earned their upkeep. They've learned this from their father, who has probably learned this from their father, who's probably learned this from their father. 
How do you upkeep your boats? How do you upkeep your nets? How many boats do you need? How much staff can you bring in so that you're still profitable? How much fish do you need to catch every day in order to make enough money? They get fishing. And Jesus says, commands, come, follow me. We're going this way. But but, but, but Jesus, I like this. I know this. This is comfortable. This is familiar. You see, the command to follow will actually bring you someplace you would never go to on your own. Let me say that again. The command to follow will bring you somewhere that you would never have gone to on your own. Because this is scary. (laughs) I don't know what to do over here. (laughs) But you know what this does when you actually step over here into the unknown? It draws you closer to God. (laughs) Because you actually have to depend on him and not depend on you. (laughs) Depend on his plans, not my plans. (laughs) To seek him in prayer. Am I in the right rut? Is this really where you're bringing me? And sometimes we don't even know what the goal is when we begin to follow. If you're not familiar with my story, and I, I share this not to be the hero, I share this just to kind of understand, you know, if I can use this as an example from my own life. But um, back, I used to be a computer consultant for, for about 14 years. This is my 13th year as a pastor. So next year I'm equal, and then the year after that I've been a pastor longer than a computer consultant. So I'm going to have to come up with a whole bunch of new stories. So, uh, But when I left the computer industry, I got this great job at a church in the Kitchener-Waterloo region. I sold my house. I liquidated all of our stuff that we didn't need for this new home that we were moving to. Danielle quit. My wife, my de- my wife Danielle quit her job. We had two babies at the time. And everyone's looking at me like I'm some kind of spiritual superhero. It's like, oh, wow, Kevin, you're so spiritual and you're so close to God because, you know, you heard God and you're following him and becoming a pastor and you're doing this. You want to know what was actually going on in my heart? I was in Toronto. I was staying with a friend. I was sleeping on his couch during the interview process. And and all I could think of is how can I get my job back? All I could think of is, wow, that single mom that just bought my house who's so excited because her husband cheated on her and she found this great house she can raise her kids. Could I sue her and get my house back? That's so Christian of me. All I could think of, immense fear, immense confusion. And in that moment of complete, total desperation, I'm not the type of guy who says I hear the voice of God on a regular basis, but in that moment, all I heard was, follow me. Okay. (laughs) brought me someplace I didn't want to go, brought me something I didn't know how it was going to turn out. Now, now would I ever go back? Not for all the tea in China. But I only know that now 13 years later. The command to follow will bring you somewhere that you would never go to on your own, but will draw you so much closer to God, will draw you so much closer into his plan. It's so much bigger than simply attend church, right? So Jesus calls us the commandment to repentance, the commandment to follow him. And then the third one is the command to let your light shine. See, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, a life of repentance draws you closer to God. It helps deal with your human human relationships as we heal, as we love one another. 
right? It helps empower us to follow Jesus in places that we would never go to on our own. And when we finally get to those places, the reason Jesus brings us there is not for our own benefit. Again, another big sin of the Western church is we think church exists for me. You are the church. You exist for lost people. That's the message of Jesus. Is we need to let our light shine. So that lost people know that we're found. And if they don't like us, that's okay. We'll get through it by the Spirit of God who empowers us. (laughs) But they need to see light. (laughs) Because most people who don't go to church, they don't wake up on Sunday morning going, Hey, we should go to church today. They don't do that. (laughs) They need to know you at your workplace in your school, in your mom group, in your dad group, in your hockey team, in your Star Wars club, wherever you go, they need to see your light. I joined this Star Wars club a couple of years ago, and honestly, the main reason I joined it is because I was sick and tired of hanging out with Christians. (laughs) Can I say that as a pastor? See, my whole world is Christian. I work in a church. All my friends are Christian. You know, there's a lot of Christians in my life, and, and I was kind of at this spot in my faith, like, I just need to hang out with people who drink and swear. <laughs> I kind of miss people like that. I, like, I just need, like, a bunch of F-bombs in my life and a bunch of drunk people. I don't know why, but I was really longing for more of that. I don't want to do it, but I just felt like I was missing that from my life. <laughs> so I joined this club, and my biggest fear was that people would know I was religious. <laughs> or even worse, that people would know I was a pastor. I didn't want to go there for that. I want to go there for my selfish reasons. But the command of Jesus is comfortable. Covering the light is easy. The command is to let it show. Three commands. And that's out of 30. But these are the three big ones. And these drive what we think God is doing in our life here as a church. Living a life of repentance, of following Jesus, of letting our light shine. And kind of the big idea that I want to look at the way I really see and I would tell you, I want you to attend three things. I want you to attend Sunday morning. I want you to attend a life group. And I want you to attend a ministry that you can volunteer in. Although they're all good things, and I firmly believe those things will help you grow spiritually. But it's very easy to go to all three of those things and never grow in your faith. What's your spot in that? <laughs> How are you going to become a vibrant, growing Christian? See, vibrant Christian means someone who's vibrant. One of those annoying Christians. The ones when their life is a train wreck and they're still smiling and singing, praise be to God, hallelujah. Like, how do they do that? Right? And that person who's vibrant in their faith, that knows that God is with them and has empowered them, and they're reaching other people with the gospel, with the message of Jesus. They're engaged in that. Every single person is called to engage. It's not, here are the religious experts, and occasionally one day Pastor Kevin will call me and ask me to, for a hammer. And then I'll sit around and wait again. One of the big shifts that we've done over the last year, and we're going to continue to do the shift, is the reason we have staff is not to do ministry. 
you don't hire pastors and staff to do ministry. We have to make the shift that the reason we have pastors, the reason we have staff is to equip you for your ministry. You see, 90% of churches in Canada have an attendance of under 100 people. 90% of churches in Canada have an average attendance of less than 100 people. So most of us only know that environment. We're used to the small church idea that at 100 people, you hire a pastor to take care of us. And if you start growing a little bit more than 100, you hire a youth pastor to take care of the teenagers. And we get so busy taking care of one another that we're not following. We're not going into the world and being a light. We huddle and we take care of one another. Now, taking care of each other is an important part. But if it stops there... We're on the, in the wrong rut. So what we want to be doing over the course of the year is there's kind of three areas that we are strengthening and working on. And I just want to share these quickly with these because I want you to see your spot in this. That we want you to engage with the vision. I don't want you to attend anything. But I want you to engage with the vision that God has given us. So three areas that we're going to focus on. The first is that we want to deepen discipleship. Now, I know discipleship is a very loaded word, and that can mean different things to different people. For me, discipleship means you are becoming more like Jesus. If you've been coming to Greenbelt for years and years and years and years, if you've been coming to Greenbelt for the nine years that I've been the pastor here, and you look the same today in your walk with Jesus as you did nine years ago, I have failed you. I didn't push you hard enough. I didn't poke lovingly enough. I didn't disciple you enough to grow. That's why you have pastors and elders and deacons and leaders to spur each other on. We want to deepen discipleship. We want to see you become more like Jesus because that's the goal. That's what Jesus wants for you. So that's what we want to do. We're not here to just kind of put band-aids on people and pray for your sick aunt. We do that stuff. But it's about teaching and following Jesus. And part of this is we want to get you more in the Bible. You know, we've got to get you more in the Bible. See, I can't get up here and say anything inspirational enough for you to change your life. I'm not that good. <laughs> there's nothing I can say that will get you to change your life. There's no one in your life, there's no one in my life that can say something to get me to change my life. Well, okay, maybe my wife. Okay, she's pretty good at it. Okay, and my mom, she's pretty good at the guilt trip sometimes, too, when I was little. She's good now. I love you, Mom. Um, you know, but we're not inspirational enough. There's nothing we could say. You might feel a little spark of, oh, that was awesome when you're here, and then you go back to your real world on Monday, and life just happens. It's the Word of God that changes us. Right? It's the power of God through His Word. As we study His Word, as we look at what the ministry of Jesus, we see how the ministry of Jesus played out in the life of the early church. We see how the history of the people of Israel brings us to Jesus. Right? It's, we need to spend time in here. And I know how important this is because when I'm not in this, I see it in my life instantly. Somehow, whenever I'm on vacation, I don't know why, but when I'm on vacation, I don't read the Bible as much. Just kind of one of those things. Anyone else? When you're on vacation, you don't read your Bible as much? Just me, okay? I'm the only bad you know, Christian in the room. I'm okay with that, right? But 
I don't read it as much. And then for somehow, after three weeks of vacation, of three weeks of not really being in the Bible all that much, Danielle and I are fighting. I'm kind of nitpicking the kids. I'm grumpy. I'm cranky. It's how it works. <laughs> it's just how it works. And it doesn't have to be these big, huge, three-hour devotions every day, but how do we teach each other to spend five, ten minutes sitting in the Word of God, growing in our discipleship? Right? The other thing that we want to do is we want to really focus on growing in biblical community. You know, there's 128 verses in the New Testament that we call the one another verses. Love one another, pray for one another, support one another, carry one another's burdens, spur one another on. See, and all those 128 verses are not meant to be lived out on Sunday. See, Sunday, when the church gathers, when Christians gather on Sunday, this is about Jesus. This is about corporate worship. This is about lifting up and proclaiming the name of Jesus in song and in word. But then we go out of here and we do true community with one another. Loving one another, praying for one another, caring for one another. And that's why we're so adamant about seeing every single adult find theirs, find their life group. Because that's our care model here. Currently, right now, at Greenbelt, we have 602 people who are being impacted by the ministry here. 602. It is now normal in Canadian context that most of them won't be in the building on a Sunday. And that's okay. That's totally cool. Again, when you're sitting there going, but, 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 we've always had to get people to come on Sunday. No. We need people to follow Jesus. We need people to engage with the mission of Jesus. Engagement will drive attendance. Attendance won't drive engagement, right? And so when a church is under 100 people, the pastor can care for everybody. The pastor knows everyone. The pastor knows everything that's going on in everybody's life. At 602 and 1,000 people watching online, I don't know you. And I can't. And out of my love... For the church is I can't feel guilty anymore about the fact that I don't know you. (laughs) My job has to be equip leaders who come alongside you and that kind of continues and that continues and that continues. (laughs) Not one couple taking care of everybody. So we need you in a group. We are investing in our group leaders so that they know how to care for you spiritually, that they're getting you into the Bible, that that's part of the discipleship process. You know, and that's what we say unapologetically. If you're not in a life group, you're actually not under the care model of our ministry. <laughs> no one's praying for you. No one knows what's going on in your life. No one's there for you. And we want everyone to be known. We're not trying to make a church where everybody knows everybody. That's impossible. <laughs> but we're trying to make a church where every single person is known. And we do that through the groups. And then finally, quickly... <laughs> We really want to get better at helping you share the gospel. You see, everything that we do, everything that we work on, all of the things that we collect, everything is temporary. I, I was told this recently by a mentor of mine, because I'm a collector, right? So I, I collect comic books. So I actually have every single Superman comic book from like about 1979 to today. There's a lot of them. (laughs) I got quite a few boxes of these Superman comic books, and I am incredibly proud of this collection. 
I got a special little shelf for them. They're in the really nice white boxes. And when they get creases on the box, I buy a new box because it's got to look just nice and slick. I've got them all in order, 1979 all the way to 2019, 40 years of Superman comic books. And a mentor of mine says, you know when you die, your kids are probably going to throw that out. Or sell it for whatever they can get to buy a car. <laughs> what? <laughs> they, could, they don't care. It's junk to them. My, my treasures is junk to my kids. <laughs> How many of you have had to do that when your parents have suddenly passed and you're cleaning out the house? <laughs> How much stuff just went away? And we treasure that stuff. We treasure that stuff. And that stuff is temporary. The only thing that's going to last for eternity is do people know Jesus. It's the only thing that's going to last into eternity. Did you give your life to the spreading of the gospel? It's not just for the super Christian. It's not just for the elite. And you pass a hammer occasionally. It's your call as well. And so we want to make that real easy. So on the chair, when you came in today, we started making these little business cards. You know, and it just says, join me at Greenbelt Church. You know how easy it is to share your faith? The next, I want everyone to take one of these home, at least one. Put it in your wallet, put it in your purse. The next time you're at a restaurant, tip your waitress well. Or waiter, anyone. Tip the person who served you well 20%, 25% and leave the card. Don't stiff them and leave the card. <laughs> in the spiritual gift of mercy. <laughs> they need to see your light shine. See, for some reason, we think as, as Canadians, oh, you know, you've got to be humble and don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. That's not what Jesus meant. See, when I'm out in the community, I let them know I'm part of Greenbelt. When I'm working with city councillors, they know I'm the pastor of Greenbelt. When I'm talking to politicians, they know I'm the pastor of Greenbelt. Why? Because I'm letting my light shine that I am unapologetically a Christian. This is what I believe. I want to be a part of the work that the city is doing here. I love what God is doing through our city. Let the light shine. You can put this when you tip your waitress. When you're paying your bills at an ATM, just leave it there for the next person behind you. Social media. If you're on our Facebook page, right now we're reaching about 1,000 people a week online. Social media now is the front door of our church. It is. We are engaging. Comment on it. Volunteer on our team with it. Oh my goodness, do we ever need a lot of help with this? <laughs> because it's about sharing the gospel. And it can be uncomfortable. We like this. But we want to get better at equipping you to do it in simple ways that we can all go on this journey together. So how has God called you to engage the vision this year? How do you move out of simply attending church and finding your spot in engaging the vision this year? It's not about attendance. It's about engagement. Jesus wants us to live a life of repentance to follow him wherever he will bring us and to let our light shine wherever we go. And if you love him, 
The Spirit of God in you will help you do those things. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you that we can worship you in this place. I'm grateful for the reminder of the words of Jesus. That if I want to be a man who says I love him, my love will be shown through tangible actions. That people could see that I love Jesus because they can see me living a life of repentance. Of trying to turn from sin through your power of seeking forgiveness from people that I've wounded and hurt, that people would engage with the vision of one of us, leave this place with, a, with a, more of a glimpse of how you've called us to engage with this vision. And for anyone here who this might be new, I want you to know that God loves you, that God brought you here to know of his incredible love, and you, even today, can be a part of the vision that God has for this city just by praying a simple prayer, by saying, God, thank you that Jesus died for me. And today I, br- I invite you into my life. And if you do that today, I'd love to talk to you in the cafe afterwards. And we're going to collect our offering now. This is part of our worship. And if you're a guest with us today, please do not feel obligated to give unless God puts it on your heart. But pray for the offering. So God, I thank you for the generosity of your children. And God, I pray that you would use this offering for your glory, that you would accomplish your vision of seeing Greenbelt being a vibrant, growing Christian community, reaching 10,000 people with the gospel through these generous offerings. And Holy Spirit, as we worship, I pray that you would continue to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.